This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 267. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. If this is your first time listening to the show, first of all, welcome. Glad to have you. This is a podcast for creative freelancers who want to earn more money from their creative skills without selling their souls, and you're good at what you do. (laughs) If that sounds like you, you're in the right place. If you're a returning listener to the show, awesome. Glad to have you back. Thanks for coming again and again and again. This is a weird episode today. I have a great topic planned. This might be a two-parter. It's a very long outline. It's one of the longest outlines I've had in a while, but I thought this is a really important episode. However, my entire day has been thrown off dramatically through a dramatic turn of events, kind of sort of not really that dramatic, but I had my Facebook account breached, which sounds like a super boomer thing to do. (laughs) No offense to my boomer listeners out there, but generally speaking, I consider myself a person who values security. I have every password on every website is like a different randomly generated password from one password, which is the password manager we use. I have two-factor authentication on all things, including Facebook. It was a unique password for Facebook. The email address associated with that account was a unique password generated. It was a 20-character encrypted, whatever. I don't know. It was like all the crap we can possibly do with two-factor authentication. Everything you can do to keep from allowing your Facebook account to fall into bad hands. The reason this matters for me is you know, we're running tons of ads for this business specifically and other businesses that I have other ad accounts for. And if they get a hold of that, they can do a lot of damage. They can show ads and things that should never be shown to people. They can promote things that are against Facebook's terms. It could completely ruin my ability to ever advertise again. So I woke up this morning at 6 a.m. and saw that my email address had been removed from my account. My phone number had been removed from my account. That my password had been changed. I just jump up out of bed and run downstairs with my laptop and try to figure out what the heck's going on. Just to get my account back first, I had to submit a photo of myself holding a piece of paper with a specific number on it to show my face with this specific code to even get access back to my account, which I finally got back after an hour of going through all this. And I got access to my account, but the problem was their email address was still on the account along with my new one that I created another account just for Facebook because I'll show you why in a second. This is interesting for some of you. If not, you can skip ahead two minutes, three minutes or so, and we'll get to the meat of this episode. But now his account, this guy in Hong Kong and my account, me in Nashville are both on this account and we're both trying to reset the passwords. I'm trying to reset it from what he did. And so I'm generating this code to my email address. But anytime I generate a code, a unique code to change the password on the account, it's also being sent to him. So he's trying to change the account. And so for like 10 minutes, we're battling back and forth, generating random codes. And we're both trying to put this code in fast enough, get to our account settings and remove the other person's email address from the account. Eventually, the account is locked again. And through ChatGPT, thank you very much. I found that there's a page you can go to facebook.com slash hacked. And you can go through this process where... You can remove email addresses from your account. So I went through that process. I removed his email account from my account. And then I went through and figured out damage control and got my account back, changed the password again. I still don't understand how he bypassed the two-factor authentication. For those who know what that is, you know that's hard to bypass. For some reason, it wasn't being generated because we use one password as our authenticator app. And it's not just a text message that gets sent out. So he bypassed that, but we found out how he got into the account. The email address I had to log in to my Facebook account, secure, right? Problem is, The backup account for that was an old email address from my recording studio with an old password back when we all had super passwords we used for like all of our stuff. That was an old compromised email account. I don't really use that for anything, so it wasn't that big of a deal. The problem was they were able to access my good account by sending backup codes to the compromised account, thus gaining access to the email address associated with my Facebook account. 
So we fixed it all. We got access to the account. It doesn't seem like any fishy business was done. I think I'm good and in the clear, but I mean, this was like just a few hours ago. So that was the beginning of my morning today. And this is Tuesday mornings is the days I do podcasts for myself. And I try to stay a couple of weeks ahead. And this threw me off a lot this morning. So I'm not here fully mentally. If I'm spaced out, it was a weird feeling, man. I've had a house broken into before when I was a kid. It felt like that, violated. But I know people who have had their entire accounts permanently banned because of people breaching the account, throwing up a bunch of scammy ads and maxing out your card and then getting the entire account shut down. And it can be a pain to get those back. So I have learned my lesson. Make sure all accounts, old or new, whether I use them or don't, especially if they're set up as a backup account for one of my email accounts, make sure that you have good passwords on all of those. So lesson learned the hard way. However, if Facebook would have actually utilized the two-factor authentication, meaning when a weird random browser in China tries to log into my account, maybe ask for the two-factor code before allowing them to log in and change all my stuff. But what are you going to do? Anyways, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode today. I don't know what the title is going to be, and I'm afraid this is not going to appeal to the people who need this episode the most. But the main concept that I want to talk about for this episode is inputs and outputs. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I see so many freelancers completely forget about this concept of inputs and outputs. It sounds so stupid, but we all fundamentally understand this. If you have a day job, your input is hours and your output is dollars. Yay! (laughs) If you have a car, the input is gasoline. The output is either miles or horsepower or whatever you want to put there. So when you understand inputs and outputs, then you understand that the more input you have, the more output you have. I think everyone's with me so far. If you work more hours, that's more input. You earn more dollars. That's more output. You put more gas into the car. That's input. You get more miles out of the car. That's output. Great. The problem is this is two-dimensional thinking. This is what a lot of freelancers fall into. And they ignore one of the biggest factors that determines output more than anything else. And that is the actual machine itself. So this is the chat GPT definition of machine. I'm going to put this in here because I was just chatting with GPT about this today. Here's what GPT said. Machines are typically used to manipulate, transform, or transmit energy to accomplish a particular purpose. They can be powered by various sources, such as electricity, steam, or human effort, which I thought was fascinating that they included that. So when you think about this, the machine itself greatly affects the output. So if you're looking at your day job, the job itself is the machine. So if you have a better machine, aka a better job, you can work the same hours and earn more money. Or in the car, the car itself is a machine, but the engine would be the machine in this case. The more efficient the engine, the better the output, meaning you can have the same amount of gas and you get more miles. So at this point, I don't think I've lost anybody. I'm pretty sure anyone listening right now understands this at a fundamental level that more inputs equals more outputs or the same inputs for a better machine equals more outputs. But do you really understand this for your freelance business? I would bet no. First of all, I don't think many people think of their freelance business as a machine. And if you look at any freelance business, it is a machine. It's actually a machine made up of a lot of little machines. So it's really complex. But just to make it simple, if you are a videographer and you do music videos, then your input is clients come to you with money and your output is a music video. If you're a designer and you do branding for clients, the input is the client's money and desires and the output is their branding package. If you're a recording studio, which is my background, then the input is money and talent or musicians. And then the output is music. And you can break this down to be as granular as you want. This voice that's reaching your ears right now, the input is my voice. The machine is my microphone, my mic cable, my preamp, my analog to digital converter, the post-processing that we're doing on this right now, the editing that Leland is doing right now, our editor, and the output is reaching your ears right now. And the output quality is determined by not just the input of my voice and how good I sound, but the quality of the content, the stuff I'm serving you right now. 
but also how well is the machine oiled? Are we using a good microphone? Are we using a good preamp? Are we using good equipment? Are we doing good processing? Are we editing out the bits that I mess up and the random pauses that Leland has to edit out because I'm thinking and it needs to make me sound smart? So that's how granular you can go. But if we zoom back out to the big picture level, looking at your entire freelance business, the quality of this machine you've built will determine your income. And like I said earlier, the, the challenge here is that this is a really complex machine. I'm going to do the best I can to break this down to keep it simple, but give you a lot of food for thought on how you can use this inputs, outputs, and machine thinking in your freelance business to increase your income and honestly decrease the amount of work you need to do or the things you don't want to do at least. But at its core, no matter what you do, any freelance business, you're trading dollars for hours. Unless you completely outsourced everything and maybe did the Tim Ferriss for our work week, you're pretty much always trading dollars for hours as a freelancer. But we have the ability as freelancers to set up a machine that gives us a disproportionate income for the hours that we work. It's called leverage. And we're going to talk about some of those things we can do today. But some of you, and this is the big challenge that I've seen again and again and again, are working for less than you could earn at a day job somewhere else. You're earning way less at your freelance job. And some of you, that's okay. Some of you have much higher earning potential elsewhere, but you've chosen this because you're passionate about it. But I would love to help you in this episode of Beyond earn more from your freelance business than you could elsewhere. Because nothing is worse than looking at your bank account at the end of a month of hard work and realize how little you have to show for the work that you've done. So let's break this down into the five major pieces of your business machine and talk about the inputs, talk about the outputs, talk about the machine itself in each of these categories and how we can improve the quality of this. And the better you understand each of these five areas, the more money you will make, hands down, period. If you can actually build each of these parts out and take these seriously, you will make more money and you will most likely enjoy your freelance business more because you won't be stressed out, because you'll get rid of the feast or famine cycle that you're probably constantly in, and because you'll be compensated fair or more than fair for the time that you've spent doing this. So let's talk about the first machine we need to look at for your freelance business. And this is one that is most often ignored out of all on this list. So I'm starting here for a very good reason. And that is the lead generation machine. What is the definition of a lead? If we can't agree on that, then we can't agree on how to actually generate more leads. A lead is someone's contact information that you have access to that you can then follow up with. It's not a follower on Instagram. It's not a follower on TikTok. It's not something on a platform that you don't own or control. It is usually an email address. It can be a phone number for texting, calling. There's a few other things it could be, but for the purposes of this in our businesses, it's either an email address or a phone number. Now, why does this matter? What do you need to bring new leads into your business? It's because you cannot let them be responsible for reaching out to you when they're ready. I know that sounds counterintuitive. Almost any freelancer I'd ever talked to, they would never, ever follow up or reach out to somebody. They would sit around and wait for that client to come to them because they don't want to seem desperate. They don't want to seem needy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Here's why I believe it's okay to reach out to people once they've become a lead in your business, why it's okay to be proactive in the relationship. It's because life happens to all of us. Me, you, people's Facebook accounts get hacked. Divorces happen. Family vacations come up. Deaths in the family. Distractions. Things that hold your clients back from taking the next step. Maybe sometimes competitors get in the way. Sometimes the gig never happens because no one followed up with them. That's the worst case scenario. Maybe the competitor gets the gig because they were better at following up. Well, in this case, you should have listened to me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they finally reach back out to you because you left it in their hands to reach out to you. That's great. But that's what most people are relying on is for people to come to you. That's why if you're listening to this podcast right now, you probably want more clients. And if you don't want more clients, I guarantee you still want higher quality clients. And if you want higher quality clients, it starts with generating leads. And if you want to generate leads, we got to look at inputs and outputs. What is an input for a lead? An input is an eyeball. Now, this is usually, not always, but usually website traffic, 
It can be one-to-one. It can be in-person events. You can get business cards, whatever you want to do, but it is eyeballs. Now there is an episode we're going to link in the show notes. If you go to sixfigurecreative.com slash 267, that's the show notes page for this episode. There will be a link to a YouTube video there for a video I did called something to the effect of six ways to get more traffic to your website. That's a really good place to start, but any way to get eyeballs, usually to a website, is how we generate leads, especially with modern digital marketing. In certain industries, especially gatekeeper industries where projects are all held by a few people, this doesn't really work. You need to do it in person, one-to-one. You just have to have a way to follow up. So lead generation still applies. It's just probably not going to be through digital marketing. Now let's look at the machine itself. We have the inputs, that's eyeballs. What's the machine that turns them into the output, which is leads? The machine is typically, especially in modern digital marketing, is a funnel of some sort. Now, I realized when planning this episode, we have absolutely no episodes that are dedicated to funnels. (laughs) So I think maybe the next episode I do will be about funnels, unless this becomes a two-part episode today. Then after we finish this inputs and outputs episode or series, then I'll do something on funnels. But a funnel, in a nutshell, is a simple series of pages, usually a landing page and a thank you page is probably the easiest way to look at this. A landing page that gives the person two options. Option one, they can take the next step and get on your email list or become a lead basically. Or option number two is they leave the page. So it's not your homepage on your website where they can do any number of things. They could go to your about page. They could go look at your portfolio. They could click onto your case studies, your testimonials, or read your blog or whatever. There's a million things someone could do. That's not a funnel. A funnel is a dedicated landing page is what they call it. that captures a lead. And in a lot of cases, especially today, there's something in exchange for that. It could be a case study. It could be a cheat sheet. It could be some sort of lead magnet or free test project. I see that with mastering engineers all the time. They do free test projects. When we look at this at the inputs and outputs, we can know the quality of the machine based on one simple number. What is the conversion rate? If 100 people hit your landing page and 40 become leads, you now have a 40% conversion rate. That's the benchmark I give most of my clients or most people that I talk to or work with or consult with is 40%. The main funnel I have running right now converts at around 60%. So that's on the higher end. It means it's a good funnel. But if your input is eyeballs and the machine is the funnel itself, then the number of leads you generate is going to be dictated by how good the machine is. How efficient is it? Think about it as your miles per gallon. So that's the first part of the machine. It is generating leads. You're getting names, emails, phone numbers, whatever you want of people that you have the ability to build a relationship with, to follow up with. And that leads us to the second part of the freelance machine And that is the lead nurture machine. To dumb it down as simple as possible, lead nurture is just another way of saying, I'm building a relationship with that person. I'm nurturing them. Think about a plant. On the daily or every other day, you're watering your plants. You're pruning things. You're plucking the fruit that is ripe. And just like a garden, when you nurture a human being, you're building that relationship up. You're making it big, strong, with lots of fruit. And if you fail to nurture that relationship, it may wither and die, just like an unwatered plant. If you're not good at or consistent with your nurturing, then you could build it up, have lots of fruit. You never harvest that fruit. And so it withers and rots on the vine. I'm growing tomatoes right now. There's a few out there right now that are rotting on the vine because I have not actually harvested that plant yet. And that's a true thing. Many times you have lots and lots of low-hanging fruit, ripe fruit out on the vines right now for those relationships that you've built over time that you have not harvested yet. That human being that you have gotten the lead, they're absolutely worthless to you if they do not know you, like you, and trust you. Nobody hires someone that they do not know, like, and trust. And lead nurture is all about how do you build a relationship? How do you nurture them? How do you get them to know you, like you, and trust you? So let's look at this from the inputs and outputs model here. Input is you have a lead. Output is you have a sales opportunity. What's the machine in the middle that turns them from a lead 
to a sales opportunity. This is different from every business. Freelancing is complex. No one business fits the exact same model, but there's a number of ways that you can build a relationship. You can nurture. You can do something simple like one-to-one, in-person, lunches, networking events, live events, meetings, whatever. You could do one-to-many like this podcast. I am nurturing thousands and thousands of people who listen to this show every single week. Shout out to my regular listeners. It can be email follow-up, just nurturing over time with an email, reminding that you exist, adding value to their life. It can be text messages. It can be phone calls. It can even be DMs on social media. That is a valid way to nurture people, to build a relationship, to get to know them. So this is where we have to start looking at inputs and outputs. Inputs, what are the quality of the leads that we're getting? Sometimes we get bad leads. Not all lead sources are the same quality. If you're doing paid advertising, those are going to be generally lower quality leads than if you're doing something like content marketing, in-person networking, and meeting people face-to-face. As far as the quality of the machine, how do we get more people to know, like, and trust us? Questions like, how did you build the relationship? What are you doing? How long did you stay top of mind with that person? Relationships take time. They take time as far as them getting to know you. They take time as in minutes and hours together, even on a one-to-many scale. And nurturing and building relationship takes time as far as weeks and months to become a familiar face, to be someone that is trustworthy, that shows up again and again and again. It's not just a fly-by-night person. How deep and strong is a relationship? Now, there is an episode, a link in the show notes. It's episode 183 called Lead Nurturing, Changing the Way You Think About Client Relationships. This is a good place to start if you think this is an area that you really struggle in. But in most cases, this is probably not the issue because you don't have leads to then nurture. So if you're not generating any leads whatsoever to then nurture, then this is probably not the area to focus on yet. Again, to recap, the first was actually generating leads. The input is eyeballs. The output is leads. And the machine is typically a funnel. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. The second part is lead nurture. How do we build relationships with people? The input is leads. The output is sales opportunities, which leads us to the next part of the machine. And that is your sales machine. To understand the sales machine, we first need to understand what a sales opportunity is. A sales opportunity is someone who's expressed interest in hiring you. They may have asked for availability. They may have asked your rates. One of those two things are typically it, but they've expressed some sort of actual interest in hiring you. As soon as someone expressed interest in hiring you, they become a sales opportunity. They should go into your CRM. That's customer relationship management system. It's one of the many tools and products that we can use to make a better machine. And sales is the process of taking someone from interested, 
into someone who's going to hire you. And there's a number of things that we need to do in our sales process or our sales machine to facilitate that transaction from happening. So our input is sales opportunities. How many sales opportunities do we get over a certain period of time? Usually a month is what I track it in. And then the machine itself is our sales process. And sales is broken down into a number of different parts. The first is qualifying. When you get a sales opportunity, you first need to qualify them. Is this a good fit for me? Is the skill set that I have, the vibe, the look and feel of the photos or the design that we do or the sound of the audio we produce, is it right for this client? And also, is this client what I'm looking for? Because I can't say yes to every project that comes my way because then I'm starting to do bill paying work and I don't want to do bill paying work. So I'm qualifying to see if this is the right person for my business and if I'm the right person for their business. And if they're not, don't waste anyone's time. Just let them know it's not a good fit and maybe suggest a few people for them to go to. That's qualifying. The next part is discovery. It's usually best on a actual conversation in person or on Zoom or on a phone. Sometimes you can do this through DMs, but I really, really, really prefer most people do this face-to-face or on Zoom. But discovery is the conversation around where is the person now, where are they trying to go, and what do they need to get there? Those are really the key points. Then you're trying to figure out if what you offer as a freelancer is right for them. And if it is, then you go to the next step. But if it isn't, you cut the conversation short. You say, listen, everything I've seen so far, it looks like I'm probably not the right one for you, the right person for this gig. So I just want to respect your time and say, there's a few people that I might recommend or send you away. But because of these reasons here, I think that we're not equipped to help you. So that's discovery. And then the third part of sales process is the close. And the close is just explaining how you can help them accomplish the thing that they came to you for, how you can help them with their album how you can help them with their photos, how you can help them with their design, with their videos, with their motion graphics, whatever service you offer, insert it in here. When you've qualified them, you know they're a good fit. You've had the discovery process. You know you can help. The close is simply just telling them how you can help them. It's as simple as that. But then we're on the fourth part of the sales process. And this is the area that most people are bad at. And just straight talk here, you were bad at this. Overcoming objections. Many times we take a rejection on the surface level. It's usually an excuse around money or an excuse around delay. Those are the two biggest objections you will ever receive. Delay is, I need to think about it, or we've got some things to figure out. We need to talk to people, whatever. Money is, I'm just not sure if this is in our budget, which by the way, a lot of times qualifying someone is seeing if they even have a budget in the first place, but every business is different. But overcoming objections is simply digging in and figuring out what is the real objection here. It could be that the money objection is actually because you failed to really convey how you can help them accomplish what they came to you for. So they don't see the value in what you provide. If that's the case, a monetary objection is usually a failure in the discovery process or the close process. Either you didn't uncover the problems that you help with in the discovery process, or you didn't properly convey how you can help solve those problems or help them reach their goals in the close process. But overcoming delay is really the key thing that I see most people struggle with because people struggle to make decisions. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because this episode's already pretty long, but I will say this, simply asking more questions when someone puts an objection in the way is the first step of overcoming these objections. Because a lot of objections are just misunderstandings. It could be that they thought a process went one way and it's actually this. It could be that when you really dig into it, they had a bad experience with their last provider that they, they were looking to hire. And they thought that this could end up being coming the same type of project for you. Having these real conversations uncovers the true objection. What's the real reason they're delaying? What's the real reason they're saying no? And finding ways to overcome that. Sometimes it's a lack of belief in themselves. Again, every niche is different. I'm not going to try to prescribe this for you specifically because everyone is different, but those are the four parts of the sales machine. And the output is a client. And so when we look at the simple math of the inputs and outputs, we know that an input is a sales opportunity. How many sales opportunities did you get? They go through the machine and that machine dictates how many actual clients we get out of the back end. Now there's one red flag I want you to look out for here. 
or two red flags, I guess. The first red flag is very obvious. If you have a really low conversion rate on sales opportunities to clients, and I say low, I say anything below 30%. If you're below 30%, there's definite room for improvement. It may be improvement on qualifying, meaning you are weeding out people who shouldn't have been on a sales call with you anyways, or it could be that you're allowing the client to run the sales conversation and they're going way off track from what actually matters. And it could be that on the closed portion of the sales call, you are just spitting a ton of technical jargon at them and they have no idea what's going on and you're just confusing them. There's a bunch of things that can happen. We have other podcasts about sales on this show and we will have other stuff in the future. But the other red flag that is more common that I think most people fall into, and that is your sales conversion rate is too high. We talked about this episode 224, why your high sales conversion rate is actually a bad thing. That'll be on our show notes page as well. If you go to sixfigurecreative.com slash 267 or to scroll in your podcast feed to find that episode. But long story short, the reason a high sales conversion rate is a bad thing is typically because most people wait for the lowest hanging fruit to come to you. It's people that you've probably closed no matter what. And so you're closing a high percentage, but you are closing a relatively small amount of leads per month. So typically what I'll see is you'll have a high close rate, 80%, sometimes higher, but you're having two or three sales conversations a month, if that, sometimes one a month or every other month. So the sweet spot is somewhere between 30 and 60%, anything below 30 or higher than 60, and there's likely a problem. There can be a pricing issue as well. Again, listen to episode 224 if you want more information on that. So that's the sales machine. And that's a big part of this entire thing, because if you can't successfully close clients, then you're getting them all the way to the finish line, but you just can't get them past the finish line. And that's frustrating. But once you actually close a client, that is just the beginning of the relationship. That's half the battle. Next, we get to the part of the machine that is arguably the most important. I say arguably because you can argue for or against this being the most important part of the machine. But either way, this is a crucial part. And that's the actual fulfillment. Fulfillment is just giving your clients what they paid for. They paid you for something. Give it to them. I shouldn't have to explain why this is important. But the input is clients or money. What do you think the output is? Is it a music video? Is it a design package? Is it a new website? No. It's not any of those things. The output is two things. It has to be both of them. It is one, client success, meaning the client actually got what they wanted from the thing you gave them. And two is client happiness. They're happy with what you gave them. And those are two different things. You can have happy clients that actually didn't accomplish what they came to you for. So for example, if you're a music producer, an artist comes to you to produce their music, they may be ecstatic with the entire process, but if that music wasn't successful, then your client wasn't successful. Again, they could have loved the output They could have loved the music you gave them. They could have loved the mixes. They could have loved everything about it and been happy with it. But if it didn't get them the goal they had, they didn't sell the amount of records or have the number of streams or get on the tours that they want, much of that falls on you. The reverse is also true. You can have a client who's highly successful. They reached their goals with what they hired you for, but they weren't happy with the process. A lot of times because you were a bitter, hard to work with, terrible person. (laughs) I see this a lot in the audio engineering community, so I'm picking on them a little bit. But the grumpy old audio engineer is almost a trope at this point. It's a cliche. So you may be great at what you do, but if you fail at keeping your clients happy, you've lost the battle. You're not going to get a referral. You're not going to get people to hire you after the fact or come back to you again and again. So if the input is money or clients and the output is happiness and a success, what does that machine look like in the fulfillment machine? Again, this is very complex. I'm going to try my best to explain this, the different elements of this. This looks different for everybody. But the first part to look at in the fulfillment machine is your skills and abilities. This is obvious. That's why they're hiring you, is your skills and abilities. So there's obviously your creative skills, the thing that you're actually trained on, the creative skill that you possess, design, copywriting, music production, songwriting, whatever. But the not so obvious things, and this is the area that people fail to invest properly in, is communication skills, collaboration skills, time management, problem solving, 
emotional intelligence. These soft skills are the things that actually keep the relationship healthy. Make sure the project moves along smoothly. Make sure the client is both successful and happy. And it goes a long way to actually getting the client the output that they want, success and happiness. But there's other parts too. There's the processes that you have in your business. All of us follow certain processes as we're creatives. We have our creative process. We have our onboarding process. We have our revisions process. Some of us, we have teams. This is part of fulfillment. We have teams that help us in certain areas. It could be gear. Certain areas are more gear focused than others. It can be your software. The better this machine becomes, the more the entire business is going to grow because this is why word of mouth typically is the number one source of clients for freelancers. If your fulfillment is dead on, if they're always successful from the thing that you provide them from and they're happy, they will always refer their friends. They'll always come back to you again and again and again. And what can inevitably happen is clients work with you and maybe they have success, but they weren't happy working with you. You weren't emotionally intelligent enough to understand the interpersonal relationships happening in the project. You deliver great work, but you're always behind. Your clients were unhappy for that. At the end of the day, this fulfillment machine here, and pretty much, honestly, all the machines I talk about today, it all hinges on you. You improving your skills, your abilities, your knowledge, your ability to get shit done. It all comes back to you. This is an infinite game. There is no finish line in the freelance world. We all have to continuously get better and better and better and better. And fulfillment, this fulfillment machine, look at it as a black box. This is the key to unlocking success as a freelancer. If you crush it here, there's a lot more forgiveness in these other areas that you're working on in your business, these other machines that we're talking about today, but this is the one that is non-negotiable. I have seen freelancers successful without ever doing lead generation. I have seen freelancers who are successful with minimal lead nurturing. I have seen freelancers who are successful who are bad at sales. They have no real sales process. Why is that? It's because they are typically the best of the best of the best at fulfillment. They are wonderful with their clients. They are so likable. They get their clients the success that they came to them for. And because of that, the amount of referrals and repeat clients that come to them outweighs all the other bad areas that they struggle with. And so this is what I say about these types of people. They are successful despite their best efforts of f***ing it up. <laughs> despite their best efforts of sabotaging their businesses, they're still successful. So these are not the people we can model and emulate. You do want to model and emulate how good they are at fulfillment but not the other parts of their business. An incredible business is one that takes all of these elements and pays special attention to each and every one of them, typically in seasons. Which area, which machine do you need to improve in this season? Which one has the lowest gas mileage? Which one's the most inefficient machine? So those are the first four. There's one more. They are all important, but this one is the second most important if I were to rank these. <laughs> Let's just recap. We've got lead generation, lead nurture, sales, fulfillment, and the fifth one is monetization. We recently had an episode about this. I'll refer back to it in a second. But monetization is basically just how much is each client or project worth to you? And if you're wondering, why does this matter so much? Why am I putting so much weight on this? The best way I can say this is, would you work with every client for $1? Chances are you would say no, because if this is your full-time job and every client is worth a dollar, that means if you're trying to reach six figures, you have to work with 100,000 clients or projects per year. That's pretty insane. <laughs> I don't think anybody can do that. So in this extreme example, you can see how these numbers affect everything. If you have to bring 100,000 clients, how many leads does that mean you need to actually generate? Maybe a million. How many sales opportunities do you need to have? 200,000, 250,000? How many clients do you need to have each year? Yeah, again, 100,000 clients to reach $100,000 at a dollar per client. So if you flip that around and we, we start looking at the numbers maybe a little more realistically, if a client is worth $10,000 to you in a year, then you'd only need 10 of those to reach six figures. If a client's worth $1,000 to you in a year, you need 100 of those. So you start to see how this monetization portion affects everything else. It affects how many leads you need to generate. 
how many sales opportunities you need to generate, how many clients you need to close from those sales opportunities, and ultimately how many projects you need to complete in a year to hit your income goals. So if the input is clients and the output is what's our, basically our dollar per hour, it's the best equivalent I can come up with as an output here, then what's the machine that makes this better? It's our pricing, it's our packaging, and it's our offer. Another way of looking at this is what's your pricing model or your business model? There's a number of ways to do this, whether you're doing day rates, hourly rates, flat rate packaging, you're doing a onboarding fee plus a monthly retainer, you're doing monthly subscriptions. Go back to episode 265 from a couple of weeks ago called Make Your Clients Worth More Money by Avoiding These Six Mistakes. These six mistakes essentially just run you through the six different things that you can do better to monetize your clients. But many freelancers I run across here, if we just increase what each client is worth to them, they're able to multiply their yearly income on a factor of one and a half, two, three, sometimes tripling your income in a year just by changing your pricing and your packaging. So monetization is not to be ignored. It is the key piece that affects all other pieces. And if we zoom back out to look at the entire freelance machine, all five parts that I just went over, and we were to dumb it back down, it's just like a day job. Your input is time and your output is money. And so if you're spending a substantial amount of time on your freelance business and it's not giving you the output that you want, chances are there's a ghost in the machine. There's some sort of problem. There's a kink. Something needs to be worked out or something's completely missing in many cases because the amount of income that you generate is directly associated with how efficient your machine is. Just like a car that gets one mile per gallon, it's a really inefficient machine, really hard to drive that when you have to fill up the tank every 15 to 20 miles. But most freelancers have missing parts of their machine. When I talk to the average freelancer, and I've talked to, I mean, hundreds one-to-one over the last year, probably thousands in my lifetime on a one-to-one basis, had conversations with, had sales calls with, had coaching calls with. Here's what the average freelance business looks like. You've got no leads generated. That first lead generation portion, you're doing nothing for lead gen. I'd say less than 3% of freelancers that I talk to are actually generating any leads right now. The only kind of lead you're generating is a sales opportunity. So you're getting contact information when they're ready to actually work with you. These sales opportunities only came from word of mouth. They came from one-to-one interactions. They come from repeat clients, or maybe best case, they might come from fits and spurts of things that you picked up from this podcast or other areas for generating leads or sales opportunities. And those random sales opportunities that you're generating from word of mouth or repeat clients are typically few and far between, but they convert really well. Kind of how I talked about that red flag to watch out for. You're converting a high percentage of those because they're such low hanging fruit. And you're essentially only talking to the people that we're going to hire you no matter what. They decided somewhere along the way that you are the one they're going to work with. So when you actually have a sales conversation with them, they're already closed. At that point, you're just having a conversation about how you're going to get your payment and what you're going to do for them. This isn't really a sales conversation. And the issue with these opportunities is that they're too few and far between. And to add insult to injury, in the average freelance case, the clients that you are taking on, these clients are paying you through a flawed pricing model. I've seen this time and time and time again. I know that anyone still listening right now is probably resonating with this. And the only thing I can say is just pointing at the sign on my wall behind me. It takes more than passion. The things I talk about today, inputs, outputs, the five different parts of your freelance business, those micro machines or mini machines within the greater machine of freelance, these are not optional. If you want reliability. They are optional if you are okay with feast or famine. You're okay with potential stress. <laughs> They're optional if you don't really like money. <laughs> They're optional if you want to avoid the things that are important in your life and not actually take steps towards fixing those things. And just to kind of go back to what I say on this podcast occasionally is we got to put our, on our big boy underwear, big girl underwear. When we get out of our huggies, our, our trainer diapers and put on big kid underwear because we've grown up, right? The longer you ignore these issues, the more lost income you're costing yourself through opportunity cost is great. There's a quote I heard somewhere. It was essentially saying, 
every year I don't earn, say, $100,000 or a million dollars, every year I don't earn a million dollars, I'm paying the ignorance tax of a million dollars minus whatever I earned that year. So for those of you who your first goal is six figures, which is what we say is minimum wage here as a freelance, our minimum wage goal should be $100,000 a year gross because you're only going to net about 60000 of that after all taxes, fees, a bunch of other crap. We have an episode somewhere in the backlog called why $100,000 is the new minimum wage. But if $100,000 is the goal that you're trying to reach, whatever $100,000 is minus your income, that's your ignorance tax every year that you don't figure this out. So I don't know about you, but that motivates me to a high degree. Not every personality is this way, but if a roadblock comes up or problem comes my way, I'm an Enneagram eight. For those who don't know, that just means when a problem comes up, my initial process is how can I problem solve? How can I fix that problem? You're going to challenge me with a problem. I'm going to push right back. I realize that not everyone's like that. Some people, they can crumble from the challenge like that, or they can hit a roadblock and let the excuse monster come up and say, I can't do this. So the only challenge I can have for you is just find that one weak part of the five parts of this machine that I just explained today on this episode. I went at great lengths to maybe slow down my speaking a little bit. I talked a little slower today. I tried to explain as simply as I could. And I'm hoping that I've done my duty as a podcast host to help point out what area is flawed in your business and which thing is not giving you the output that you want for this input of time that you're putting into your business. Find that one and put all your effort into solving that. And if you want my help with this, you can always go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coaching if you want me and my team to actually help you personally one-on-one with this. We'll work with you to create an entire plan to follow. We will coach you on implementing that plan. We'll give you unlimited feedback and help on the different pieces of this plan to fix that bottleneck, to fix that broken machine in your business. And we will hold you accountable. Actually make sure you fix it instead of just starting and doing the fits and spurts. So again, if you want to see if you're a fit, go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coaching. Otherwise, just keep listening to this podcast. If you're new, there's plenty of episodes here to get you started with this. If you go to sixfigurecreative.com slash 267, all the episodes I mentioned from this episode are linked in that one show notes page. So you can just go there and see which episodes make the most sense for you to go to next. But what I don't want you to do is listen to this episode and take no action whatsoever. Keep pushing forward, fix those broken parts of your machine, and you will finally start to see all the inputs, all the hours you've put in, you'll start to see the income matching what you expect to earn from the skills that you have. So that is all I have for this episode. So glad I got it done in one episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Six Figure Creative Podcast. 